first scripture reading is the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 32, beginning at verse 36, Jeremiah 32, verse 36, it's page 661 if you're using that blue Bible. Now, it's a very stiff passage. It's about God disciplining his people and sending them into exile and destroying the city of Jerusalem, but also some promises of restoration. And what I want you to focus is, as I read verses 36 through 41, focus on the good God has planned for his people. Now, therefore, thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel, concerning the city of which you say, it is given into the hand of the king of Babylon by sword, by famine, and by pestilence. Behold, I will gather them from all the countries to which I drove them in my anger and my wrath and in great indignation. I will bring them back to this place and I will make them dwell in safety and they shall be my people and I will be their God and I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for their own good and the good of their children after them. And I will make with them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from them from doing good to them. And I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn from me. I will rejoice in doing them good. And I will plant them in this land in faithfulness with all my heart and with all my soul. And now we turn in our Bibles to the New Testament, to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, it's page 944 in that blue Bible. If you've ever been to a funeral I've done somewhere in all the funerals that I've done, and even one recently earlier this year, some of this will sound familiar because I'm a Johnny OneNote. It's just, I'm just going to tell you, okay? You will hear some of this that's maybe familiar, but we're going to focus primarily in the reading in verses 26 through 39, but I'm going to ask you to keep your Bibles open to Romans 1 because I'm going to end up going through earlier parts of this as well in Romans 8. So Romans chapter 8, beginning at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword, as it is written in Psalm 44. For your sake, we are being killed all day, all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All that I've read to you from the Old Testament and the New Testament is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. O lead us this day, O good shepherd, beside still waters. Restore our souls. Lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, so that even though we may pass through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil. And may goodness and mercy hound us all of our days as we come to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. You may be seated. So if you're visiting, we've been doing a series called The Five. It has to do with the five solas. Sola is Latin for only, the five onlys. And I'll explain a little bit more in a minute. But you'll find the the sermon notes on the back of your worship guide, and there are some questions there. Again, parents, I've asked the kids to take out the coloring sheet and do today's uh, sola. And then I hope that after the great lunch we have today, that when you go home you will talk to your kids and to one another about these five solas and especially today's. My friends, as in the days of the Apostle Paul and in the days of the 16th century reformers, so it is in our day, there are all sorts of competitors. There's a whole cacophony of voices trying to win our allegiance away from God or trying to divide our allegiance between God and Gestalt, or between the divine other and the divine self, or between the true God and true grit. But all rivals are only disruptions, distractions, and devaluations. That's one of the major reasons why the Reformers, when they'd heard about these five family heirlooms, went looking for them, found them in the attic, dusted them off, brought them down, set them back up in the family parlor so when everybody visited the house, they'd see them and, and ooh and awe over them. This is why the reformers put them back on bold display, these five ancient family heirlooms that we call often the five solas, the five onlys. And you've heard four of them already. Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone. Solus Christus. In Christ alone, sola, sola gratia, by grace alone, sola fide, by faith alone. Today, we look at the last sola, soli deo gloria. So you'll notice the two points. We're going to spend almost our whole time on the significance of soli deo gloria, and then we'll wrap up at the end with um, settling in soli deo gloria. So there's the two points. My friends, simply put, soli deo gloria, as we think about the significance of it, soli deo gloria, those words, just simply mean to the glory of God alone. Now, that's not usually unusual. It's not an unusual statement. I mean, you often hear people say and spout off things like, praise God and hallelujah, and that's all great. Also, great popes and grand pianists have closed many of their works with statements like, to the greater glory of God, and so forth. And so, it sounds almost like a throwaway line, soli deo gloria, the glory of God alone. But, my friends, the fact that this fifth sola 
is one of the five solas, one of the five onlys, and it was instrumental and significant in the Reformation, tells you that there's something heavier here, something richer here, something more significant in mind. It's actually the theme running throughout the heart of the other four solas and wraps them all together in an inseparable bond. Now, I'm going to say this because it's too easy for us to take the other four solas, you know, Scripture alone, Christ alone, grace alone, faith alone, and only focus on us. And then all of a sudden we run into Sully Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. We go, wait, wait, what's that doing there? Because that is the purpose of the other four solas. Let me give you some examples. Scripture alone is the ultimate standard of faith and life to the praise and the majesty of God alone. No rivals allowed. Scripture is centered upon Christ alone, as is our salvation, as is all of creation, actually, and so on. To the praise and the glory, the praise and the majesty of God alone, no rivals allowed. Our salvation and liberation are solely by the grace of God alone. To the praise and the majesty of God alone, no rivals allowed. God's gift of life and salvation in Christ alone is received by faith alone. To the praise and the majesty of God alone, no rivals allowed. So Soli Deo Gloria is the real heart of all the other four solas, reminding us that all of this is drawing us Godward, not usward. I think that's pretty huge. But I also want you to notice that Soli Deo Gloria, what it does not mean, is it does not mean to the glory of the Father alone. Sometimes that's how people seem to talk, to the exclusion of the Son and the Spirit. Instead, it's actually glory to the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three persons who are simultaneously one God alone. And so the goal of this slogan is actually meant to remind us repeatedly, emphatically, that there are no creaturely, no revelatory, no mediatorial, no priestly, no devotional, no hierarchical, no heavenly rivals, no matter how much someone wants to compete with God for our allegiance. There are no rivals. There are no rival ways, no matter how often people try to give you a way. There are no competing alternatives, no matter how often people try to compete. There are no contending saviors, though there are those who pretend to be contending saviors. There are no equivalent approaches. It is all from God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit alone to the glorious majesty of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit alone because there is no greater good than God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit alone. Soli Deo Gloria! So now that we've defined, in a sense, Soli Deo Gloria, let's take a glance at our passage in Romans 8 as just one example out of many to see a few ways that this works out and gives us the significance of Soli Deo Gloria. So if you've got your Bibles open to Romans 8, and if you don't, you should, and I would encourage you to do so. Romans chapter 8, you will notice clear back in verse 1, 
if you run through chapter 8 from verse 1 to the very end of verse 39, there's one thing that's very, 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 very clear. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are busy. Let me say it again. Romans 8, when you read it and you pay attention, you realize God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are busy. They're all over Romans 8, from one end to the other, busily doing something, busily doing something huge. And so we stop and we ask, why in the world are they so busy? Simply put, because sin is just killing us. Sin is just killing us. Paul mentioned that back in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. He says, therefore, just as by one man sin entered to the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men because all have sinned. You'll notice that equation, that, that pattern. All of us are included in that picture. Sin is just killing us. By one man's sin, death entered to the world, and we're all a part of the sinning, dying race. Sin and death. And one of the things that comes along with death that's a result of sin, in a sense, is something that's not mentioned back in Romans 5, but it is mentioned clearly here in Romans 8, and it's the middle piece of that pattern. You need to add this word. Suffering. Sin, suffering, and death. All of us are a suffering people. We are all dying. It's one of the things I appreciate about Jordan Peterson, a new popular psychologist writing books out there that usually young millennials are reading very heavily, is how he keeps emphasizing, even though he's an atheist or a non-Christian, at least a non-Christian, he keeps emphasizing to be human is to suffer, get over it, understand it, realize it. I appreciate him bringing that up. Because that is the equation. We have been a dying people since the moment we were conceived. Sin, suffering, death. Sin is just killing us. And this sin, suffering, death pattern is comprehensive. It affects everything about us. It affects our relationship with God because we're the sinning, suffering, dead-to-God people. It impacts our relationship with others. All of our relationships can be characterized by sin, suffering, death. It impacts our relationship with our society and our cultures. The pattern is, in our relationship with society and culture, sin, suffering, death. And it impacts our relationship with all creation. Sin, suffering, death. Sin is just killing us. This is why the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are busy. Because... They're bringing about God's world reclamation project. His world rescue operation. And so we're going to just work through very quickly Romans 8, not necessarily in the order you would expect. We're going to work through a few things, not everything. This is not exhaustive in Romans 8, but I think it will help you to see. Here, first off, I want you to notice that Christ died for us. His people. Christ died for us, and so there is no longer any condemnation, any damnation, any judgment that dooms us, that is standing over against us. Now, I'm emphasizing that because of conversations I've had recently. We need to hear this. 
Christ died for us. There's no longer any condemnation standing against us. Just look back to verses 1 through 4. Follow along as I read it. Verses 1 through 4. By the way, in these four verses, you will see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit fully involved. Here we go. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in whom? Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set us free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And so, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Christ died for us and there is therefore now no condemnation standing over us. This comes up again when you get down to verse 31 and 32 that we read a minute ago. So look over to 31, 32, and then we'll drop to verse 34. What then shall we say to these things if God is for us? I hope you're listening to me. I know some people who don't always think God is for them. Do you hear what he said? God is for us. God is for us. Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Dear friends, who is for you? God is. And how do you know? Because his son died for us to set us free. God is for you. Look at verse 34. Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Notice the emphasis. The Father and the Son are very busy in rescuing us and bringing about His world rescue operation because sin is just killing us. And lo and behold, He's for us and He's saving us. Woo! There's no longer any condemnation over us. Soli Deo Gloria. Notice further that Christ died for us and so there is now no longer any separation between us and God. Before the separation was sin, suffering, death. That was all about our separated, broken relationship with God and we could do nothing about it, but God did do something about it. Christ died for us and there's no longer any separation. Look again at verse 35 and what Paul does there. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists all of these things that are part of a corrupted, contaminated creation. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Any of those things? Verse 37, no, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. In fact, he goes on to say, I am sure, I am certain that neither death nor life. I always find that interesting. He puts life in there because for some people, life is a living hell. Neither death nor life. Angels, rulers, things present, things to come, things that are out of your control, no powers, height, depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. 
Christ died for us, and so now there's no longer any separation between us and him, between his people and, the, and him. Dear friends, our response should be solely, Deo, Gloria. Notice also, and just go back to verse 14 through 17, notice that the Spirit himself is imparted to us, and now we are no longer the homeless, orphaned, disenfranchised ones that sin, suffering, and death made us to be. Look at verse 14 and following. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and of children than heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And I'll come back to verse 17 in a minute for the rest of that. But I want you to notice that the Spirit is imparted to us that we are now no longer the homeless, orphaned, disenfranchised ones. We now are part of the Father's family. And our response should be what? Soli Deo Gloria. Notice further that the Spirit Himself is imparted to us. The Spirit Himself who is imparted to us will one day overcome our death and decay and decomposition. We will still die, but He will overcome that and will resurrect us, making us fully alive just like Jesus. Body, blood, bones, toenails, and hair. Look back at verse 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And our response should be what? Soli Deo Gloria. Two more things before we get a little closer to wrapping up. We won't be there, but we'll be closer. My friends, we are loved by the Father. God is for us. We're loved by the Father through Jesus Christ and made by the Holy Spirit conquerors over the death of sin and the circumstances and conditions of a corrupted creation. That's verses 35 through 39. There's not a thing anywhere in all of creation. And all those things that you're afraid of that keep you up sometimes at night. And all those things that make you wonder, how could a good God love me? And all those things that cause you to be scared, politically, socially, culturally, whatever. None of those things, Paul says, not one of them. Separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Because we are loved by the Father through Jesus Christ and made by the Holy Spirit, conquerors over the death of sin and the circumstances and conditions of a corrupted creation. And our response has to be, must be what? Soli Deo Gloria. And finally, because, this is the first finally, there's another finally later on, so hang in with me. Finally, because the Father's world recovery program that is achieved by his, for us by His Son and has worked throughout through us and worked into us by the Spirit, lo and behold, even all creation itself will one day enjoy the blessings of God's 
world rescue operation with us. Look at verses 19 through 24. For the creation. Dear friends, are you part of the creation, by the way? Yes, so you will understand then the connection why Paul brings this in because you're a part of creation and so all the rest of creation's destiny is wrapped up with your destiny. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of whom? Of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who are part of this groaning creation, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption of sons and redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we are saved. Because of the Father's world recovery program achieved by His Son and worked out through us and worked into us by the Holy Spirit, even all creation itself will one day be saved and enjoy the blessings of God's world rescue operation with us. And what's the right response? Soli Deo Gloria! And I just was just getting started. There's more, but I can't go into it all right now. But let's do this. Of all the ways that this impacts us, let me narrow it down like a sharpened drill bit drilling through sheet metal or wood to one of Paul's applications here out of many. This is one application out of many. Because of this unstoppable, untamable, unquenchable love of the Father through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit for us, then dear friends, there's a new meaning that is given to suffering. There's a new meaning given to suffering. Once our suffering was actually part of our damnation, our condemnation, it was part of the sin, suffering, death. But who took care of the sin part? Christ. Who's going to come back and take care of the death part? So you know then that something has happened to the suffering part. It doesn't, this, what I'm about to say will not take away the peer, tears, will not take away the pain, it will not take away your questions. But there's a change of the meaning of our suffering now because of what God has done. Once suffering was part of our condemnation, but now it is actually part of our identification. It's actually part of our family connection. Look back at verse 16 and 17. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God and of children and heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we what? Suffer with Him in order that we may be also be glorified with Him. Before, dear friends, we suffered without Him. Are you listening? Before, we suffered without Him. But now that we are in Him, we suffer with Him. It changes actually the meaning of are suffering. Suffering used to be the grievous beginning of something permanent. Let me say it again. Suffering used to be the grievous beginning of something permanent. It's called damnation. It's called hell. It used to be the grievous beginning of something permanent. 
But, oh dear, praise God, now it is only temporary. And it is erupting into something greater. Look at verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing the glory that is to be revealed to us. Or as Paul puts it even more emphatically in 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us, is preparing for us, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, suffering, but to the things that are unseen, the one who overcame the suffering in his death and resurrection. For the things that are seen are temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We walk by faith and not by sight. Are you picking that up? Now it's no longer permanent. Now it's temporary. And lo and behold, in the mystery of God, it's working out for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I'm going to start sounding like a Pentecostal or Baptist here in a second. Hold on, here we go. Let me calm down here. That's huge. It changes the meaning of our suffering. It doesn't get rid of it. It doesn't get rid of the bitterness. It doesn't get rid of the pain. It doesn't get rid of the tears. It doesn't get rid of the why questions. Why me? Why this moment? Why her? Why him? It doesn't get rid of the lament, the, the lamenting. But now we're no longer lost in the suffering. It's part of the family identification and the family connection. We know it's only temporary and is actually doing something for us that is beyond our imaginations. What? I don't know. I couldn't tell you. God didn't ask my opinion or give me any any insight on that, but that's what Scripture says and I believe it. And I'd rather face suffering and death with that than with what our society is foisting on us now, that you're only animals and only chemistry, and this is all there is. I went off script there. Hold on a minute. <laughs> and so what should it be our response? Soli Deo Gloria. Therefore, dear friends, because we are in Jesus, we see that the Father is now working out all things for our good. Verse 28, that's the point of verse 28. doesn't mean that everything is going to be good but he is working all things out for our good. At the least, he's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison through this momentary light affliction. And in the midst of all the suffering, you cannot forget verse 31 and 32. He's for you. God is for you, his people. He is for you. And we end then with the end of Romans chapter uh, chapter 8. And none of this will separate us and can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we fall exhausted on the ground with hands upraised and say, Soli Deo Gloria. My friends, this is the significance of Soli Deo Gloria. So let's wrap things up, or try to, on settling in Soli Deo Gloria. What does that mean? Well, I just mean aspects in which we live out a life of Sully Deo Gloria. I have four suggestions, four aspects of this. I mean, you think about the phrase Sully Deo Gloria. That's a worship phrase. Would you agree that's a worship phrase? So let's begin there. 
It's very fitting and right and appropriate that what we should be after in our worship is that it needs to be Soli Deo Gloria worship. It's worship, worship should be powerfully and clearly showing Soli Deo Gloria as the focus, the central focus of our worship, where we are purposefully declaring the majesty of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Soli Deo Gloria worship looks away from self-help, looks away from self-esteem, looks away from self-aggrandizement, looks away from self-flattery to point to the only one in whom we can have confidence and comfort in life and in death. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what he's doing in his world, amazing world reclamation project. Recently I was talking to a woman who... uh, comes to the homeschool group that's here, meets here on Tuesdays, and she asks to talk to me privately about her dad. I don't want to get into all the details, because I don't want to, in case anybody happens to know who this woman is. But one of the griefs she had is that her father seemed to be having a crisis of faith. He was 70-something years old, had been a missionary on the mission field, and now he's having a crisis of faith because he just didn't understand how all these people could die and go to hell that have never heard the gospel. It was all this, all these things. And then there was injustice in the world and all this. And so I just took her to Psalm 73. Well, don't go to, go to Psalm 73, but you could write this down. Where the priest who wrote Psalm 73 in the first half is about to lose his faith. That's what you see him doing. He's focusing upon the injustices of his world and the wicked in his world and how they're prospering. And he comes to the point where he is saying, I, you know, I almost, I just finally just, I just can't believe I'm a priest. I just think I've, I've washed my hands in vain. I was ready to give up. And then he says, until I entered into your sanctuary, and then I saw their end. And from there, he comes out in hope. Here's why I'm bringing that story up to you. Because one of the things I told her, I said, one of our problems as Evangelical Protestants in North America, about 200 years ago, we bought off on something that has hurt our people, that the audience is everything, the crowd is everything. We're here to evangelize you. That's all worship is for, is for you. It's about you. It's to you. It's all that way. And the problem is, there's no substance in that. The goal and aim of worship is solely Deo Gloria. Because... So when I came into the sanctuary, I then saw them. She walked away quite happy, actually. It was like, that's it? Soli Deo Gloria, worship, my friends. But let's go further. Let's think of this. Soli Deo Gloria, evangelism. Now, Mike, why would you say Soli Deo Gloria, evangelism? Well, just think about the first four solas. Isn't it something about evangelism? How how are we saved? Are we not getting into evangelism by asking that question? In Christ alone, by grace alone, received by faith alone. Oh, look at there. So soli deo glory, evangelism. In fact, if you ever are involved in a situation where somebody asks you, your grandkids maybe, or your kids, or your neighbors ever ask you, tell me about Jesus, and you go, I don't know what to say, just pull out the five solas. You've got a paradigm, a pattern that you could use to evangelize them. Talk about the scripture alone and this is where you're coming from and how it's all about Christ alone and who he is, what he has done, is doing, and will do for his people. It's all by grace alone, received by faith alone. You get it? That's soli deo glory evangelism. You could use the five solas that way because you're turning them away from themselves to look where? 
Yeah, soli deo gloria, the glory of God alone. Here's a third one. How about soli deo gloria reveling? Soli deo gloria reveling. What in the world do I mean by that? Well, I'm glad you asked. I like to tell you. We're to revel in the good that God alone gives us. And I'm going to give you a potent example. If you want the references down on one of the questions in your sermon notes, but it's the Westminster Shorter Catechism 36. It's a Westminster Shorter Catechism question and answer that gets very short shrift. Nobody, almost nobody ever spends much time on this. It's one of my more favorite ones. What are the benefits which in this life? What are the benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification? The benefits which in this life do accompany or flow from justification, adoption, and sanctification are assurance of God's love, peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, increase of grace, and perseverance therein. Soli Deo Gloria, reveling. Just sit in that catechism answer and just go, wow, the benefits in this life. I actually can have an assured conscience with God and confidence with God. I can actually have, I actually have the Holy Spirit who is, who is the joy of the Holy Spirit. I have the increase of grace, the perseverance to the end, all those things. Wow. And for you fellow Eeyores, This is a place I have to go a lot, is number 36. Here are the benefits that we have now in this life. Soli Deo Gloria. Here's the last one. Soli Deo Gloria suffering. Soli Deo Gloria suffering. My friends, in all of our suffering, in all of our sadness, in all of our sickness, when it's us, or maybe it's a Christian loved one, when we're being mugged by cognitive issues, mental illnesses, depressions, cancer, and the often sickening treatment regimen that goes with it, or when we find ourselves or our family involved in deep family betrayal and the dark doubts and denunciations and defamations that often accompany it, the suffering of job layoffs and the crushing, heart-crushing uncertainties that go with it. Soli Deo Gloria, suffering, remembers, recalls, and rehearses Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. None of this is separating me from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Soli Deo Gloria. So I want you to help me to end this sermon, okay? We're going to sing one, number 128. Just turn to 128. We're going to sing an a cappella. It was written by William Cooper, who was suicidal. He spent many years in deep, deep depression, and this was written after one of those long, decade-long depressions he had where he tried to commit suicide twice. God moves in a mysterious way. I just want you to sing with me. I'm sure you'll pick up the tune very quickly. God moves in a mysterious way His wonders to perform. He plants His footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. Deep in unfathomable minds of never-failing skin. 
He treasures up his bright designs and works his sovereign will. Ye fearful saints, fresh courage, take the clouds ye so much dread. Are big with mercy and shall break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. His purposes shall ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to earn and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. Soli Deo Hope. Let's pray. What an amazing God you are. Oh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just the thought that you're actually for us. That even while sin and suffering, sin is killing us, and sin and suffering and death have been part of our lives. Yet, you've done something about sin, and we believe in the resurrection of Jesus and his coming back. You will do something about death, and you have changed the meaning of suffering. We thank you, Lord, for what we've seen here in Romans 8. I pray that each and every one of us, our hearts, will be lifted up. I pray for any, any, any who have doubted Christianity, any who are hearing this, who think they've got all figured out and they can do it on their own, I pray that you would right now soften their hearts, weaken their resistance, and draw them to you. And I pray, Lord God, that each and every one of us who have heard this today, from little kids to old kids, from young people to older people, that we would be known as the Soli Deo Gloria people. In Jesus' name, amen.